Hello and welcome to Public Health for the People with Dr. Amber Schmidtke. First, I just want to apologize for the delay since the last time I spoke to y'all. It has been a busy time in life, as you can imagine, and really, I'm excited to get back into it. So, well, today we're going to talk about how things are looking from a national perspective, as well as in Georgia and my home state of Kansas now. But we're also going to talk about some of the developments recently in the vaccine uh, development and also what we need to do thinking forward to Thanksgiving. So uh, we'll jump right in. So to begin, we'll talk about how things are looking from a nationwide perspective. And I'm sure none of you live under a rock. So you probably know that we're experiencing a big surge right now in cases, uh, what looks like exponential growth, but instead of on a regional scale, now we're talking about a national scale. And that is deeply concerning. You know, what separates this surge from the ones we've had before is the scale. You know, in the past, our surges have been localized to particular regions. In the spring, it was mainly the Northeast especially the state of New York. In the summer, it was mostly the South. And now we're seeing it really throughout the entire United States. It started in the Upper Plains states of the Dakotas and the Upper Midwest, and it has spread out and down, reaching virtually every corner of the continental U.S. And so, you know, every day we're breaking records when it comes to cases, to hospitalizations, to test positivity. And so it's just a reminder that if maybe you've had some pandemic fatigue and maybe Maybe you just needed a break and you needed to feel normal for a time. I'm not going to judge you for that. But what we really need right now is for everybody to buckle back down. We need people to take all of the advice that the public health professionals are giving us right now to socially distance, to wear those masks, to avoid unnecessary errands. You know, I do a lot of analysis of other states now where I'm getting the open records requests for White House Coronavirus Task Force reports um, for other states in addition to Georgia and Kansas. And for many of them right now, the guidance is to not associate with anybody outside of your household. So again, I I want to stress just how important this is, because we know that in the past, our cases, when they surge, ultimately lead to surges in hospitalizations and surges in deaths. And what we're really trying to avoid right now is overwhelming our healthcare infrastructure, because again, if they run out of people, if they run out of beds, then they're going to have to start making some really difficult and emotionally fraught decisions about who receives care and who doesn't. Um, And you don't want to be the family member of the person who doesn't receive care or doesn't receive the care that they would ordinarily receive. So again, we're in kind of this rough spot. And part of it, you notice that I don't call it a third wave. That's because we've never actually gotten back down to baseline after our two previous surges. We sort of just plateaued at a higher state leading to the next big increase. And so it's really, we're all still on the first wave because we've never gotten this pandemic under control. And instead, what we're seeing here is the third surge of the first wave. So that's not great news, right? And let's talk a little bit about how things are going for the two states that I focus on most, Georgia and Kansas. First, we'll start with Kansas because their situation is a little bit more serious. So in Kansas, they're experiencing exponential growth right now of their cases. And for those of you that lived in Georgia and lived through the summer surge, you know that that's not a good spot to be. What it means is that we're basically doubling the cases, hospitalizations, et cetera, virtually every time that we see a new report. And for Kansas, they only report on Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And as a data person, you can imagine that's very difficult for me. But it is it's okay, but that's what's happening in Kansas. In my observations, it does seem like there's a lot more, even though there is a mask mandate from the governor, um, local counties and jurisdictions have been able to opt out of that. And so there, 
you know, we don't see a good mask culture, at least in my community where I've been able to see it. So again, anything that we can do as individuals will really help. For Georgia, you know, we are seeing increases and a lot of it is hard to see if you look at the Department of Public Health website because they're not using antigen cases to do any of their maps or graphs. So what we're seeing on their website is a really rosy assessment of where things are. And even that rosy assessment shows pretty dramatic increases. What I'm saying is that if you factor in the antigen cases, then it's actually worse than it looks right now. And the increases are happening throughout the state and no matter what county type a county falls into in terms of their population density. So it's important to remember that, you know, even if you live in a rural community, you are not immune to this. Actually, the case rate is pretty significant there and the death rate is is far beyond the state average. So, and that's true for really all of these rural versus urban settings. Just understand that your lack of proximity to others does not shelter you, unfortunately. We do have some good news on the horizon. Um, and this is news that I think we all really needed to hear right now, which is that we have two vaccines in development right now that are showing promise. You know, we've got a vaccine from Pfizer and one from Moderna that have both through press releases, they've indicated that they have exceeded 90% effectiveness in preventing COVID-19 infections among their clinical trial participants. That's great news. You know, I think a lot of us were expecting something more in line with what's happening with the influenza vaccine, which is not nearly as effective. And so this is this is really the best news we could have hoped for. I think that that's important news for us to hear right now as we're talking about potentially canceling Thanksgiving plans, Christmas plans, all of those sorts of things. And that seems like a really big bummer. I'm right there with you. But I think what this vaccine news shows us is that hopefully next Thanksgiving and Christmas are far more normal than this one. And so really what we need, guys, is for people to just calm down, sit this one out, and we will make next year amazing. Okay. I think that seeing that that good news is coming with the vaccine is, is critically important. It's important to remember that this is not going to be an on-off switch. When the vaccine is introduced, you know, we're not going to have enough for everybody all at once. And uh, both of these vaccines, I believe they're both um, the kind of vaccines where you need two doses to ensure protection. I know that's the case for the Pfizer one. And so again, we're going to have to prioritize who gets the vaccine first. And I was in a panel last week with an executive for a vaccine company, and I thought it was really interesting, a perspective that she brought, which was, you know, we don't want to have a nationalism sort of approach to this, like, oh, we're going to immunize Americans first. Is it more important that a relatively healthy soccer mom or, you know, whatever, I don't mean to denigrate the term, but, you know, somebody that doesn't have a lot of community exposure, except for, you know, some of those occasional sort of situations, and she's relatively healthy. Is it more important that she be vaccinated before a physician who's treating COVID patients in Nigeria, for example? So we really need to kind of have that sense of perspective that the people that probably need to be vaccinated first for this are going to be our healthcare workers and first line, uh, you know, sort of responders. And then there's a there's a sort of a decision matrix that is being developed by the federal government as well as some of our state governments too, in terms of how that's going to be delivered to each person who needs a vaccine. So just understand it's not going to be like, boom, the FDA authorizes the vaccine and we're good to go back to normal. Even after the vaccine is starting to be given to people, we're still going to need to continue to keep up with social distancing, mask wear, et cetera, until we achieve that magic <laughs> or what seems like magic sort of herd immunity threshold. So just be patient because I think that we're going to have a much better Thanksgiving and Christmas next year, hopefully. Um, so, uh, you know, what's great about these vaccines, you may be wondering, why do we need two of them? Why do we need so many of them? Because 
these are just two of the ones that are in development. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the different cold temperature requirements. As you can imagine, in a rural setting or even in a developing country, it's going to be a lot harder to keep some of these vaccines cold. And so some of these vaccines, like the Pfizer one, require ultra-cold storage, uh, minus 80 degrees Celsius, which is not the kind of freezer that most of us have in our homes. And then the more recent one from Moderna, that one only requires a minus 20 degrees Celsius freezer, which is like a standard refrigerator freezer. So as you can imagine, that's a lot easier to transport, a lot easier to store. And who knows, we may even have vaccines that don't require a cold chain. And so that will be probably more helpful for some of those more rural or far-flung sort of populations. So, uh, you know, we have this great news coming with the vaccine. And so I think that that can hopefully be our sort of compromise about what's going on with Thanksgiving, guys. So for Thanksgiving, I think that if you are a person who is medically fragile or elderly or just generally does not want to host a super spreader event, I think the best call, the safest decision to make, and one that I really hope a lot of people will follow, is to just limit your Thanksgiving celebrations to your immediate family, the people living in your household, or those who live in your quarantine pod. So this would be another family who has taken on the same uh, risk calculation as you have. And basically, you have bought the risk of that other family. It's important to remember that with this virus, it does not matter how much you love or trust someone. The virus is just looking for a chance to spread to other people. So again, you need to be meeting only with people who have the same risk tolerance as you and who have had the same exposures as you. So really, it, it should be your immediate family as much as possible. But if you are planning to get gather because I'm a realist. And although I'm a mom and the mom in me wants everyone to just stay home and be safe, I'm a realist. And I know that that won't be what happens. So if you insist on gathering, here are some things that you can do to limit the risks. First of all, have your gathering be small. So this is not the time to have every person in your extended family over. Prioritize those who are generally healthy, younger, and and then find a way to incorporate elderly or more medically fragile uh, relatives and friends via Zoom or FaceTime or other methods. Um, so you're going to have your gathering be small. You're going to prioritize having your time spent outside. And especially in Georgia, the weather is good for this. You should be able to pull this off. And so what I mean is very limited time is spent inside. We're talking about maybe to run in and grab a utensil, maybe to run in and uh, use the restroom. But when you're inside, you need to be wearing a mask. And um, because the people that live there are going to be breathing whatever you leave behind. So please wear your mask and keep those indoor interactions as brief as possible. The next thing is try to lie low for the next, however, between now and Thanksgiving day, really, really limit your exposures. If you can quarantine entirely during this time. And then at the gathering itself, uh, you still need to be socially distanced distancing, even if you are outside, you need to be communicating what sort of risk mitigation strategies are going to be expected at the gathering in advance to everybody who's going to be there. Um, so for example, we're going to continue to wear our masks. Our, our family's going to gather, but we're going to sit in individual households at individual tables, for example, and we're not going to take our masks off until it's time to eat or drink. So those sorts of things, communication is going to be key here. And then in the week after, it may be worthwhile to go ahead and get a test done because we expect that there will be transmission over the Thanksgiving holiday. And so the more we know about who's sick,
sick, the more we can isolate those individuals afterwards. And I forgot to mention when you're talking about quarantining in the days to come, if you're able to get a test in like the two to three days immediately before Thanksgiving, that may be really a, a good peace of mind. It's important to remember that when you have a test done, it only tells you whether you were positive on that day. It's possible to contract the illness in the time since that test was collected. So just understand the risk that's there, but that may provide some peace of mind. And so again, anything you can do to have a safe Thanksgiving will really help because we are already in danger of overwhelming our healthcare infrastructure. And we certainly don't want to push that to the breaking point. So I think that's it for this week. Be safe and be well. Please make good choices when it comes to Thanksgiving. And we'll talk again soon. Bye-bye.